You're listening to the DMZ Movers and Shakers podcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs by the world-leading tech incubator, the DMZ. In this podcast, each episode brings in the movers and shakers of the world to cover leadership mentality, tips for business owners, and much, much more. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here's your host, Canada's leading podcaster, CPA and business strategist, Robert Gold, managing partner at Bennett Gold LLP. Once again, from high atop the Movers and Shakers Podcast Center in Toronto, live and in the morning and way up on the 89th floor, way off to the east. I can see Pudiac, New Brunswick today. I'm Robert Gold, Managing Partner of Bennett Gold LLP, Chartered Accountants and CPAs in Toronto. Today, we are going back to our roots. Abdullah Snowbar is with us. Abdullah is the Executive Director of our DMZ. He's the CEO of DMZ Ventures. Abdullah was last with us almost three years ago at our first podcast for the DMZ. Abdullah, welcome back to the Movers and Shakers podcast. Thanks for having me, Robert. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to do some catch-up. You can tell us about the new stuff going on at the DMZ. But let me just give our audience a little bit of a background. Abdullah joined the DMZ a number of years ago, seven years ago, 2014, shortly after moved into the role of ED Executive Director. And under his leadership, I know the DMZ is now ranked the number one incubator in the world by UBI Global. It's named one of Canada's most admired corporate cultures. And this blows me away, Abdullah. To date, the DMZ has helped over 500 startups raise over one. billion. I can hardly wrap my head around that for a local Toronto-based incubator. It's phenomenal, particularly it's Ryerson, so we go national. Now, let's get into this. DMZ has made a real name for itself in the startup ecosystem. And when you were first appointed executive director, you had a vision for the DMZ and you decided it was time to put Toronto on the map. Tell us about your vision. Yeah, thank you, Robert. And look, it's been a really fun ride for the past seven years. One of the biggest pleasures for me kind of coming into this role was actually spending time with the founders in the space, the founders that were there at that time, but even the ones that followed. They're actually the ones that helped me form the vision of kind of where we got the DMZ today. I think early on, there was a lot of really great initiatives taking place within the space, within the organization. We were trying to figure out what are some of the areas that we needed to improve so that we can get better, so that we can kind of lead the way, so that we can really be of value to founders and and entrepreneurs as they came in to build their businesses. So the vision was kind of twofold. Number one is how do you establish an environment where you can build greatness, where you can actually find good founders who can lean on to the DMZ to be able to to build and, and grow their enterprises? And by virtue of doing that, you kind of lead into the second part of the vision, which was establishing a global name for the city of Toronto, where we are a lead player, not a background player, but a lead player in the innovation arena. Um, And we can actually compete, not just nationally, but globally as a best in class. I think that's one of the areas that begun to actually develop over time, which we're incredibly proud of. What amazes me, a little bit of detail here for our audience that's not aware, Ryerson creates and the DMZ creates zones, and you've been able to spread the the startup and the incubator mentality across the zones at Ryerson, from my observation. Can you comment on that for a second? Yeah, look, kudos to the leadership at the university at Ryerson. I know they saw what was established as the DMZ became such a crown jewel of of the university, and they was able to build such impact across many different areas and platforms and even kind of community, one of the big thoughts was how do we leverage this kind of momentum, create other zones that can effectively bring new students into university that want to be, you know, maybe in the shortest of ways, they want to create jobs, not consume jobs in a way um, in the market. And um, how do you differentiate the university by doing so? So the leadership begun uh, establishing many other zones over time. 
Uh, to date, we have 10 zones at Ryerson University, all of which cover different verticals and spectrums and, uh, and kind of different spaces, everything from the biomedical zone, which is a partnership with the, the St. Mike's Hospital here in the city. We have the legal innovation zone. We have the Center for Urban Energy. We have uh, the fashion zone focusing on different you know, textiles and wearable technologies. And the list goes on, Robert. Again, it's a credit to the university's leadership and vision for wanting to establish this platform for new students and the community at large to look at Ryerson as being the innovative institution in the country. What that's done, actually, in many respects, it's shedding a lot of light on the idea of innovation and entrepreneurship as an industry. It's normalizing a career as a startup. You know, I remember in my time, early days, if you, if you graduated and you ended up building a startup, effectively, what, the reason why you did it was because you couldn't find a job on Bay Street or in the corporate community. So it was your second alternative. What we're seeing now, obviously, by professionalizing this, in, this, this industry is that people have become more normalized to the thought of it, and it's actually really growing the faith in solid numbers. So we're excited to see that. And then naturally, the 10 other zones add a great funnel for us at the DMZ here as well in terms of good talent that want to expand and grow their businesses in the country. And in some of our prior episodes, we've interviewed some of the leaders of those zones, and they bring a practical approach to the student population that I think is unlike anything else I've seen in the university and college system in, in Toronto and in Ontario. But I'm curious about something else as well. When you came into the DMZ, there were a number of other accelerators and incubators operating in the city. What was it about the, the milieu, the genre, that said to you, we need to do this differently? What was your observation that you could fill in a gap? In many cases, you were actually one of the first, you know, relatively large players in the city, Robert. So I think it kind of gave us an ability to kind of understand the needs of the founders and the entrepreneurs. But over time, you're absolutely correct. There were so many new players coming in and a lot of different people bringing on incubation and acceleration as a service for founders that were looking to grow their business. On our front, I think we made one um, one promise early on that we've committed to even to, until today, which is call it the the, uh, the, the secret ingredient, and, uh, and, and I'll kind of expand on that in a second, but it was the founder's first mentality, which means for us, everything we did, every decision we took, every program we ran, every partnership we actually got into, had to have the founder's top of mind. The reason for that is pretty simple. The minute you divert from that direction, the minute you lose focus of why you started and why you're, who you're serving, you've effectively lost the game, or you're not really doing your best to service a community of individuals that have put their entire livelihoods on the line because they believe in the work that you're doing, and it's just not fair to, to them. So I think that mindset is that has actually really given us a strong direction over time to always keep uh, agile, to keep focused on why we're doing what we do, uh, and to ensure that over time, everything that's being delivered is being delivered because there's a bigger purpose supporting the founders themselves. So, you know, that's one of the biggest, I would say, differentiators in how we do what we do. As a side note, it's it's always good to remember that there's such good benefits of being a national and even a global incubator uh, that's owned by a university. There's a lot of perks that come with that. The fact that we have a lot of resources that we can leverage, the obviously the educational, the research platform, the other zones, the pipeline. And then the fact of us being proximity in terms of downtown Toronto, even pre-COVID, it lends a powerful hand in supporting the, um, the rise of a strong brand like the DMZ. You know, I can confirm that Founders First and the Founders Focus that uh, the DMZ has because I, since we started doing these podcasts a number of years ago, I've been involved with some of the groups and it always comes down to we have to check with our founders. We have to see if this serves the founders. What will the founders think? 
I think it's brilliant because a lot of the others, they don't look at the founders as the focus. They look at the entity. They look at the environment. They look at the genre, but they don't focus in on the entrepreneur, and that's what you do. I want to ask you one more question on background. That is, would you say there was any particular moment that brought you to today? Well, I think I'd say a lot of luck, and then people would say, well, luck is just uh, opportunity meeting preparation in many cases, right? And uh, I think in my end, I've been very fortunate in my life to have done a variety of different jobs in different industries and different sectors, from working in the Canadian military to working in hospitality to working at the university with the faculty, even working abroad on a nonprofit in Kenya with the Canadian government focusing on women and youth. I think all those elements really helped me kind of build a foundation for preparation into the DMV. And the one thing that was a common denominator across the board for everything that I've done was service. That's the word I always talk about because what we are doing as an organization is we're delivering a service. We are a service provider. Our job is to help enable and help grow and help and help build great Canadian businesses, hopefully that will become international powerhouse company. That's one of the things that always stuck in my mind from day one as I began, began to change industries and sectors is that service is the driver of what makes you unique in this case. And you need to be uh, ruthless about quality uh, when you're delivering service. That's something that we've always kind of kept, uh, kept true to. So it's the underlying kind of success point that everyone at the DMZ in terms of the team really uh, holds strong to. Well, I, I agree with you. I'm, I agree with everything you say, Abdul. I mean, it's, we, we come from the, <laughs> the same perspective here, don't we? It's all about the entrepreneur. It's all about the founder. And from your perspective right now, I agree 100% with exactly what you're saying. And it's all those steps that you build upon to get you here and to focus on the founders. Again, I know I'm being repetitive. I think that's a brilliant approach. Let's talk about this ridiculous pandemic that with any luck we're getting out of. But COVID-19 really brought digital innovation to the forefront. And some countries like Germany, they did in three months what would have normally taken them 10 years worth of digitization. They've come out and said that we've, we've done it in three months, what would have taken a decade. Canada's a little bit different, especially in, in Toronto, and, and Canada's been a wired community for a long time. So we've got a lot of the digital innovation right here, and it, it starts with the entrepreneurs. The larger firms have been a little bit, what's the word I'm looking for, challenged in order to get there. But a year later, they seem to have done it. But we've all been forced to alter how we live. We've had to alter our everyday lives, and digital solutions have made the transition workable personally and corporately, and even for small entrepreneurs working out of their basements. So let's just talk about this for a second. What would you say the pandemic and the, the shift to digitization, rapid digitization, has done to startups? Look, I think it's a, it's a great point and obviously something that we're all living in right now. And uh, I think you're absolutely correct. There was uh, a lot of momentum around COVID, you know, shifting the way that people think and behave and interact and do business and work from home and everything else. To that point, naturally, it's actually accelerated the pace of time that it takes for people to actually adopt technology and innovation in any one given way. You know, we saw a massive uptake on startups, the ones that were probably in the right space at the right time. But we've not, we saw a massive adoption around, you know, people wanting to engage and leverage and invest and participate uh, because they realize that this is now a necessity, not a nice-to-have. And that's a big difference when you're actually building technology and you're actually solving real problems. And in the case of COVID, you know, we went from an environment pre-COVID with lots of problems to solve for. And then we almost quadrupled the, the, the list of problems that we can solve for once COVID hits. And I think that's one of the, the areas that, uh, that really stood out. The other part, Robert, that might not be as obvious, I think COVID actually gave rise to the inequity in technology and, and innovation. And what I mean by that, 
people didn't realize how much inequality there was with regards to access to technology, access to internet, access to different areas. And kind of one of the areas that I'm seeing that's actually become more prominent is people building solutions to service the you know, marginalized communities or remote communities across the country. Because assuming that we continue building at this pace and moving at this pace, it's unfair and it's probably unwise to actually continue without letting others follow along. And I'm sure we'll talk about this at some point, but one of the areas that we felt very strongly about is that there are communities in Canada that are being under underrepresented and underserviced within the innovation call it ecosystem. We had a responsibility, like many others do, to engage and bring rise to these problems, in particular um, with uh, doubling down on programs like the Black Innovation Program, where we realized that the population relative to the uh, participation in the, in the innovation space was not accurate. And uh, we had a part in playing and helping bring those numbers to balance. So, you know, I think that's a big part that many people probably didn't click into and it's changing the way that we operate. And uh, it kind of goes back to our values. And we've spoken earlier about one of our values, which is founders first. Our second value is equity over everything. Um, and then we have our third value, which is be great, which is a probably all-encompassing statement. But it kind of pushes you back to think about what you can do differently to be relative in a ever-so-changing environment of technology and innovation. So speaking of the innovation ecosystem, your term, what does that ecosystem need to do post-COVID to better support up-and-coming startups outside of the DMZ, just out there in general? There's a number of things. We talked about the need to make sure that we don't forget about people that are maybe left out or uh, not as included because of lack of access. So that's an area that it's not a DMZ responsibility. This is an everyone responsibility. And we got to make sure that we, we continue to push the boundaries on being a bit uncomfortable in bringing on others to join in the space and be part of the conversation and be engaged in the process. I think the other part is building a great ecosystem. Sometimes we get so far ahead of ourselves that we lose sight that we need to continue supporting startup development across the board. Uh, you know, we got to think about how do we support not just early stage companies, but, you know, young individuals at the earliest stage possible. And, you know, look, keep it up to me, Robert. I'd say start in kindergarten. But, um, you know, how do you get people's mindsets to change now? we got a peek of what would happen in a pandemic when we're not fully prepared and we don't have all the ducks lined up in a row to kind of make sure that we are a leading nation on this front. How do we take some of the lessons learned here and ensure that we are all doing our part to bring on and create a community of people that understand this space? So starting from you know kindergarten, elementary, high school, get people to be excited about the world of innovation, technology, entrepreneurship. I don't want to confuse the point that we're not expecting everyone to get engaged in this space, but what a difference it would make if people actually understand this world, if people understand you know, digital uh, literacy, and they have a better understanding of how it's going to impact them, their lives, their families, um, even their possible careers down the line, and even helping them to even think about what kind of specializations they want to get into down the line as well. So I think it's focusing on education, it's focusing on early stage companies, and it's continuing to push uh, policymakers and governments to do more. Content is never good enough. Complacency is never good enough. Uh, we got to make sure that we are leading uh, and setting the example and being the benchmark to start doing or grow what they're doing. They look at us as a country to say, wow, you know, Canada just known for all the amazing things that it's usually known for, but it's also a leader in a space that we didn't necessarily know was a Canadian brand. 
You know, if we could only teach entrepreneurship thinking, as you say, from kindergarten, but across the board so that people, even those who are not entrepreneurs, carry that headspace into whatever line of employment or career path they take. Because entrepreneurs think radically differently than a person that's not an entrepreneur. And I think if we could teach entrepreneurs thinking, that goes along with digitization. But entrepreneurship thinking, the thing that you see, the spark you see in the founders of the DMZ, if we could bring that across the country, we'd be even more upstanding as far as reputation when it comes to innovation. Because people would bring that entrepreneurship thinking into the most mundane tasks that they do, and they would approach it from a whole different perspective. I love entrepreneurship, and I could go off on that for hours. So maybe that's another conversation. Let's talk about what they're throwing around now is DMZ 3.0, this new incubator model. And I know that you recently transformed the incubator model. In fact, now on the website, dmz.ryerson.ca, it says incubator, our market validation and traction program. I love that term, traction. So now we have an 18-month customized program geared to the startups, geared to 18 months worth of experience of different modules. I really want to talk about that because it's a lot different than the four-month specials that I see everywhere else. So let's talk about the 18-month program and how it differs from other accelerators and incubators and why should founders look to the DMZ for this new process? Well, you, first of all, we're really excited about this program. We think it's, uh, it's definitely different and it's not your point, the four-month package that a lot of others are offering. You know, we look at this as being an 18-month kind of journey along with the founders where we are more customized. Uh, we have a lot more of a hands-on approach to serve the unique needs of each founder as opposed to building a, call it a turnkey solution for all of them at once. So what does that mean more specifically is that we're taking smaller and more intimate cohorts of no more than 15 startups at a time per cohort. As you mentioned, it's an 18-month program, so the support is segmented into three components. Uh, the first six months is to help founders uh, achieve product market fit, maximize early sales, and attract investment opportunities. And then the second six months is to ensure that we can help out with scale and growing their sales pipeline. And then the last six months is really focusing on actually establishing the call it the course correction of whatever the startup needs at that time and ensuring that they're getting the right resources that they need to build. Beyond that, there's also a much more customized approach to addressing the founder's startup challenges, which means that we're executing a go-to-market go to strategy, acquiring uh, lighthouse customers, uh, gaining media exposure, uh, preparing for the next round of funding, and so on and so forth. And then probably one of the most sought-after pieces here is the one-on-one -on -one time with entrepreneurs and residents, so in-house subject matter experts and, and individuals who really can dig deep and hone down on areas of, you know, call it pain points or opportunity areas where the founder has maybe less experience in, um, how do you create these fractional positions to support them along their journey in building out a great business? The list goes on and on and on. Obviously, there's a peer-to-peer -peer network as well and a community of support that people can run back into. And naturally, our introductions to investors and customers and partners over the course of the program. But uh, something that we believe will change the course because, again, so many focuses for programs have been on accelerator and later stage companies and we're forgetting that in order to build a pipeline for accelerators you need to continue focusing on call it the earlier stage that i spoke to that's really something that we're delivering on we're excited about we've already seen some early successes in it and we know this will be a long-term play can you tell us about the brainstorming session that you and your team had when you decided boy we need to change what we're doing so we can do it better what what about the brainstorming session made you decide we need to pivot 
part of it's not just the brainstorming session, Robert. I think it's actually again listening to the to the environment, right? Having ears on the ground, understanding what founders are asking for, where the pain points lie, what are the gaps that exist. You know, I know that one of the areas that we realized early on during COVID as well was that we had a massive increase in early stage applications. People needed help in building early stage companies, and there wasn't enough places to go necessarily with deep established expertise uh, that can help them in doing what they want to do, like the DMZ. You know, again, we've been around for 11 years. We've done it all. We've honestly, we've done from the earliest stage company to the latest stage company, companies that are already generating over a million dollars a year in revenue. And we realized that, you know, what are the areas that we think might be of need for the founders in, in the community right now? And as we continue to listen and as we continue to see even the data pop in, it became clearer and clearer by the day that the segment that was maybe being underserved was the earlier stage kind of community. And that's where I would say that the team at the DMZ rose to the occasion quickly. We started doing some early research. We started speaking to founders, alumni, current, you know, prospective founders. We tried to understand, you know, where some of the challenges and areas were in terms of timing and lack of resources or even lack of customized support for each individual. And that's where we delivered on, on, on this program. And uh, we said, let's take all the things that people wish they had uh, uh, as a service and let's actually make it a reality. Let's really take whatever we possibly can do and push it out so that founders don't have any reason not to be able to succeed. Let's be that environment, let's be that program. So we doubled down, we took a lot of our resources and we invested it into this. A lot of our learnings from the old accelerator program around you know, scaling sales and building out a sales pipeline to help companies grow was then actually married into this program. We can, again, over 18 months spent, you know, period of time, ensure that we can deliver the best possible experience for the individual founder and uh, startup. Well, I know that right now a number of entrepreneurs are trying to ring through. They want to know how do we get in. So before we go on to the ANGEL program, which is also really exciting and really new, tell me what stage do founders need to be in their journey in order to successfully apply to the DMZ and get into your program? You know, we do have programs supporting effectively a lot of, you know, all stages of the founder's journey. You know, everything from early stage kind of ideation, kind of to our boot camp program where we're helping people just with the minimal viable product kind of come in and build and establish their company. But with regards to the incubator program, you know, it's something that uh, you know, we would obviously expect that there needs to be an established team, a proper minimal viable product, some product market fit established by testing and sampling and surveying and talking to the community and to the customer base that, that they're servicing and working with, and effectively a strong vision with a North Star and a strong team that can follow. A lot of it does come back to, you know, and nine times out of 10, Robert, we're going after the founders as opposed to the business and the business we can figure out over time. Uh, we want to make sure that the people that we're bringing on are incredible founders, people that are going to be coachable and trainable and have the right mindsets and the right skill sets to kind of get themselves to the next step. So it's uh, companies that can really uh, differentiate themselves that way. And I know that you bring a sense of discipline to a founders and an entrepreneur's thinking. It's un unlike anybody else. And again, that 18-month program is going to really hone that. Now, earlier on, I mentioned that we've raised over $1.2, $1.24 billion for over 500 startups, which blows me away that we've got that much money coming in through the DMZ to get these companies off and successful. So let's talk about the new angel program. And you announced an angel investor program, and that's helping you generate more capital for the early stage founders in the Canadian innovation and startup ecosystem. The program is also designed to advance the startup scene by getting early stage businesses what they need, introducing them to angels, 
getting meaningful and productive connections, promising opportunities. It's fabulous. So let's talk about that. Tell us more about why the DMZ started to design and launch this program. And that's the DMZ Ventures, isn't it? Yeah, it's in partnership with the DMZ Ventures, Robert. But if you look at it like, a, you know, how do you build strong combinations of complementary services? So we talked about the DMZ coming out and creating this DMZ 3.0 18-month incubator program. How do you complement it with the right kind of services and programs that founders need so that they can actually, again, grow and scale and kind of leverage their, their full potential? One of the areas that we saw a lot of interest in, because you know, naturally DMZ gets, gets hit up quite a lot from high net worth individuals or you know, angel groups or even new angel investors that are coming into this space saying, listen, we're really intrigued by the work you're doing. We truly believe that DMZ is doing a lot of due diligence on screening good companies and good founders. And we want to feed into some of that, and we want to help in uh, participating in some of the early seed rounds that the founders are raising. This happened more than once. It was definitely not a coincidence. So we saw the trend taking place, and we said, well, coming back to the founders first mentality, if we can create an environment where people that want to invest money in really substantive businesses and technology companies, how or why can't we create a program that can actually leverage exactly that? Then is born the, the DMV uh, Angel Program which is really focusing on establishing an environment, a curated environment, I should you know, be very clear about that, where we do some screening on angel investors. Uh, we ensure that they are ready to invest. We have the right know-how, the mindsets. We support them as well. We can get them what they need to be able to do all the right things around investing. And then we obviously work and we align them you know, very uh, proactively with the companies that are looking to raise companies that maybe uh, are of interest to the angel investors in terms of sector or space or technology, whatever it may be, and we kind of build those relationships and we see how it goes. Ultimately, naturally, and one of the big challenges that we've, we've always heard about was there's money, but people don't know how to invest their money in the right companies. If we pride ourselves as an organization where we're building greatness and we see great companies coming to fruition and really kind of establishing themselves to become bigger than what they are today, how can we ensure that Canadians have a chance to participate in these investment rounds by contributing through an angel program like the one that, like the one that we've created? And another really exciting thing to be, to be proud of, uh, we've seen a lot of uptake on it already. And this is just the beginning, something that we'll pilot and we'll test out and we'll see what works, what needs to be realigned or adjusted a little bit. And, uh, and we'll do exactly that. But in the meantime, there is momentum. There is a lot of people that are raising the investment. And there's uh, high net worth individuals or people that want to invest in great tech Canadian companies. Let's be the matchmaker in this case and, uh, and make sure that we're not missing an opportunity where it can really help push the companies forward. What I've learned from working with entrepreneurs for many years and helping them achieve funding and sometimes not achieve funding is that there is a misalignment between the early stage angel investors and the entrepreneur. Do you have a support system in place to give the angels some assistance and managing their expectations so that they don't drive the entrepreneurs crazy and they understand what it means to be an angel investor? That's definitely part of the program, Robert. So we're working closely with the angel investors who are coming in to ensure that they understand the process, they understand what the expectations are, and we're helping them also through their journey and making their investments, kind of getting all the right legal and kind of term sheet stuff in place so that they, they know that they're being looked after. But the intention here is not just to create a, a, a marketing play for angel investors. The success of this program is driven on the basis that angel investors will make their investments, and that's how we will look at it. And um, there's a pipeline to do so, and we know that there's enough talent to be invested in. So obviously, from our end, our job is to ensure that, that companies are being paired and matched up and 
and also ensuring that the angels are following a certain process in place, but uh, also being supported along their journey, in particular if they are or happen to be new investors into the space, which, uh, which we welcome. If somebody wanted to be an angel to DMZ companies or to a fund, how do they go about that? Our website, Robert, is probably the easiest way, naturally. It's, you know, they can just log on to our website, dmz.co or dmz.varsan.ca, and then they can kind of go on from there and log in and apply for the program. It is an application process, so... And, you know, we'll have someone from the team reach back out as soon as they do. We'll see where, uh, where that leads. Well, don't be surprised as after this episode airs if you don't get 10,000 applications from potential investors. Don't be I surprised. I hope so. <laughs> right. Finally, let's, let's talk to the founders. What, what traits do you look for uh, in an up-and-coming startup founder? And it doesn't necessarily mean to let them into the DMZ, but what is the success trait that you would expect to see? There's a few that I always kind of go back to, to be honest. It's, uh, it's tenacity, it's resilience, attitude effort, and then probably one of the most important ones is passion. You know, those are very subjective things that we look for, for sure, and it gives us the ability to understand the reason and the purpose and the why of the founder being at the DMZ or wanting to be at the DMZ. More specifically, you know, and kind of getting into this is the the ability for a founder that wants to join to be able to shift quickly and adapt to an ever-changing business environment. You know, if COVID taught us one thing, it's definitely that, and uh, so we do want founders to be able to think that way. They got to really fundamentally, truly believe in the work that they are doing, believe that their product is going to be revolutionary um, and that there's going to be a big impact and a big solution provided with whatever they're actually doing. We want founders that can ask for help. Um, otherwise, there's no point of being at the DMZ. Again, we are a service provider. We are providing access to resources and, and hopefully a, an environment where People can grow faster with us than they would on their own. So we want them to be able to ask for help. And then finally, the understanding the importance of an actual team. So it's definitely never sustainable building a business on your own or thinking that you can do it on your own. So being able to come to the DMZ with the mindset of wanting to grow a team and build a team and uh, work along others um, is, a necess- is a necessity. And uh, I bring this up sometimes because, you know, you do fall into these Situations where founders feel that they want to do it all because it's their baby and they want to grow it and then only to get it to a certain critical point, then then maybe they'll open up. That's unfortunately a recipe for disaster. We want to make sure that people and founders who are wanting to join the DMZ are really able to establish the idea that teamwork is a positive and, and building a team and a strong one in particular is going to be the probably one of the biggest reasons for possible success. And I'm going to add two things to the team's approach. Steve Jobs always said only hire 18 players, so as best you can, hire the 18 people. And my own observation is don't hire people that reflect yourself. If you get along with somebody great because they think and do exactly what you do, you might make great friends, but you'll probably be lousy business partners. You need somebody to complement your weak spots, fill in some gaps not just to reiterate and parrot everything you're doing. My last comment would be, and you picked up on passion, I've seen this over and over again, and long-time listeners have heard me say this, two Ps and an F. The only thing it takes to succeed as an entrepreneur is passion, perseverance, and focus. I, I know you agree with that. And then, of course, we'll get some angels to throw in some money, and we'll be good to go. Good to go. Okay, my favorite part of these episodes, and these are questions, rapid-fire questions that are sent to us from entrepreneurs across the country. So are you ready, Abdullah? I am ready. Okay, quick questions, quick answers. Who or what inspires you? My team. First real job? Oh, first real job. Food basics. I was a cart boy when I was, uh, I think, 15 years old. What's one thing you never leave the house without? My ring. <laughs> Favorite city? Well, Toronto and the heart always, but in terms of travel, is Havana. How do you clear your head? Cigars. I'm a big cigar smoker. Favorite meal? A good shawarma. Favorite thing about being the boss at the DMZ? 
the idea of being able to, to remain uh, creative and nimble at all times and the, the people that come with it. Morning person or night owl? I got to go with both. I love both. Scary combination. And here's the Robert favorite question. Business or industry that will be gone in five years? Oh, wow. Business or industry that will be gone in five years? The legal industry, if I can, t- if I can pick on that one a little bit, because my wife's also a lawyer. But uh, I think that one, I'm not sure if it will be fully gone, but I think uh, there will definitely be some massive disruption happening there. Well, if we had any lawyers listening, they're gone now. Abdullah Snowbar, Executive <laughs> Director of the DMZ, CEO DMZ Ventures. That's dmz.ryerson.ca. Abdullah, thank you again for being a guest on the Movers and Shakers podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. It was great, great fun. Until next time, I'm Robert Gold, Managing Partner of Bennett Gold LLP, Chartered Accountants and CPAs in Toronto. If you want to know what a great CPA firm can do for your innovating company, check us out at bennettgold.ca. See you next time in the morning, everyone. Thank you, Abdullah, and good night, Pudiak, New Brunswick. And that's a wrap for this episode of the DMZ Movers and Shakers podcast. Make sure you subscribe and follow our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also visit us at dmz.ryerson.ca for more tips and tools